Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of 60-Minute Time Limit. My name is Dylan Garland. And my name is Paul Kimball. And Dylan, how long do we have? We have 60 minutes. All right, so here we go. And we got to plow through a bunch of stuff. The point of this podcast is not to review matches. In particular, we're not going to be talking necessarily about wrestling in the sense that, wow, that was a great match. It was a five-star match. Other people do that. We're storytellers. Dylan's an award-winning filmmaker. I'm an award-winning filmmaker. We like repeating that as much as possible. We're here to talk (laughs) about the way they structure the stories in WWE. We're not talking about TNA or Ring of Honor. and It's just WWE. How are you guys doing with stories? Good, bad. And with story comes character. Yes. And with story and character sometimes comes wrestling. So we, do, you know, we will get into like that match was a good match, which served the story, but our primary focus is on story and character. So with that in mind, Dylan, I'm going to start you off. I think we should start every episode with, I hesitate to call it our wins and fails, but let's call it our, uh, three count and then our near kick out. I don't know. That's terrible. But, okay, uh, cool. but the three count is yes, that's a winning move. You've won the match. There's good story or character development right. this week. This will be, you know, unique to the particular week we do it, it could be 205 Live, it can be Raw, SmackDown. I mean, theoretically, it could be main event. Is that still a show? I think it is. I think okay. it's still a show. And it could be Total Divas, but it's never going to be Total Divas. <laughs> so we're talking in, in-ring in action. So what's your, let's just call it your win in terms of developing story or character this week and your sort of loss or fail. I think let's start with the bad first. Um, I think the continuation of um, Kane's oddly timed repackage of this monster, I just don't like. The fact that he's gone two weeks where he's kind of caught Finn Balor off guard and I think, what was it, three choke slams last week? And then this week it's a tombstone onto the stage. I, I get what they're doing. I, they're trying to build him up to feed him to Braun. That's very clear what they're doing. I just don't like the fact that Finn Balor is kind of getting the shitty end of the stick in this because Balor has potential to be one of those main event guys. He can probably, you know, fight with the best of them. And, I mean, how are people going to believe any sort of match between Finn Balor and, say, you know, the likes of John Cena or the likes of uh, Randy Orton and stuff like that, if he's getting squashed by Kane, mayor-suited Kane. So that that's that's the one I, I can't stand. It's driving me bananas. Um, the one that I like, though, and I, and I don't think it's actually an official story, but it's being told by the people involved, kind of. And it's this kind of reunion between a lot of these TNA veterans, which is a bizarre thing to say, that's my story of the week. But the fact that now that we have uh, Bobby Roode, uh, Kurt Angle, all involved in this Survivor Series match, probably going to get AJ Styles because I can't imagine Rusev pulls it out next week and beats AJ to become the last member of Team SmackDown. Uh, And I'm going to guess we were probably going to get Samoa Joe into the Raw side of things. So there's this kind of low, subtle story. And you know, AJ is a good storyteller. Joe's a good storyteller. Roode, give him the chance. He hasn't really shown yet in the main roster, but I think you might get these very subtle moments that will probably go over Vince's head. Uh, kind of the same way with the Bullet Club thing that uh, Balor and Styles did at the last pay-per-view, which apparently Vince didn't know they were going to do. 
So this is kind of subtle story storytelling that may or may not lead to something down the road, but it's exciting for me. And now it's time for Paul's Wins or Fails. Cool. Well, here's my good. You may disagree. In fact, we were both on the same page when this began with the whole Raw versus SmackDown for Survivor Series. Mm-hmm. And if you had asked me last week, oh, we weren't doing a podcast last week, so it doesn't count. I would have said that the under siege invasion of Raw was the biggest story failure. What they did this week in terms of advancing that story, I think I give it a win because they've started to build into it this idea that SmackDown is the inferior brand, or at least they think they're the inferior brand, which is true. They're always being put upon. And so building up that kind of like it's us versus the world mentality, if done right, and they got sort of a good start on it this week, kind of explains why you saw faces and heels working together. Yeah. Because you have, and I'm not sure they had this in mind when they did the Under Siege um, invasion of Raw, but I think when they, <laughs> they read the reviews, they went, hmm, maybe we should make a course correction. And if they did have this in mind, good for them. It was weirdly played out, but now we're starting to see where they're going with that. I'm going to give that a win, or at least something that I thought I liked that was moving a story I didn't think was working in the right direction. Cool. Now. The bad. The bad for me is difficult because there's so much. You already touched upon one. The Finn Balor Kane thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to that because my bad kind of relates to that in a roundabout way. I also want to give out a shout out to the terrible storytelling of Braun emerging from the you know, garbage truck <laughs> with the multiple camera angles as if you had a full reality television crew there waiting for him to come out. Meanwhile, you have a camera in the car filming the Miztourage as they're waiting for it to happen. Just, that's a that's a Michael Bay segment that was so absurd. And it led to something that was good, which was Braun it being did. a monster that destroyed the Miztourage. I do want to point out to a small side note, um, that wasn't the same trash truck. So one of two things happened. <laughs> one, we're supposed to believe that that was the same trash truck, despite it being completely red. Or two, Braun went from one trash truck, got the driver to put him in another one, and then drove him to the arena. So that's fun to think about. Suspension of disbelief, you right? <laughs> Listen, in a world where Jinder Mahal is the WWE champion and Donald Trump is the president <laughs> of the United States, after the Large Hadron Collider sort of moved us into alternate universes, I mean, yep. anything's possible. Fair enough. Braun might have walked through a trans-dimensional portal into Brigadoon. He might have been away for seven or eight years, and now he's come back in a different <laughs> trash truck. I did see some gray in the beard when he came yeah, out. He that looked, could have been mayonnaise. He but. looks a little older. He was moving a little slower. So yeah. this could be Braun, future Braun. And uh, this might be a story element that WWE might want to pursue. Sweet. So my loss. As you know, I'm a big fan of the women's division. Yes. And I'm a massive critic of what WWE has traditionally done with it. And even though they have their woman's revolution and everything, which was a little better and they were moving in the right direction. And now I think it's it's almost completely off the rails for a whole bunch of different reasons. But yep. here's my big loss, my big story fail. And it's not Emma. We'll talk about Emma. <laughs> but Emma is an ongoing story fail. My story fail is Alexa Bliss and Mickey James. This has been an ongoing disaster. Right. Which culminated this week with, I guess, what will be the final loss for Mickey James in their rivalry. Now, I don't have a problem with Mickey James losing to Alexa. If that's what you want to do, cool. In fact, I think that's probably the right decision. Sure. Unless you play it the way they played it, which is 
the whole, hey, Mickey James, you're like old and you're has been and you're like a geezer. And she's what, 37 or 38 years old. She ain't old. <laughs> no. So at the same time you're doing that and you're supposedly treating women and men equally. Mm-hmm. And I mean, everything that's going on in society now, I just, uh. anyway, um, makes sense that Donald Trump is in the WWE Hall of Fame. So <laughs> you've got 50 year old Kane coming back and being treated like a monster. Yep. Which is a fail in and of itself, I think, but especially the way they're doing it. So here he is, he's squashing, and he's he's really, you know, beating in competitive matches. I guess not squashing, but he's beating clean in the center of the ring. Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, you know, next week it might be Roman Reigns if he's back, or it might be Dean Ambrose, or who knows. Might be. So, cool, he's the monster Kane, he's the demon Kane, he's 50 freaking years old. If anybody, you know, he's close to AARP retirement age, or at least he's getting up there. <laughs> and the same thing is true with Undertaker, and the same thing was true with Sting, yep. the same thing is true when Triple H comes back and he'll fight. Um, They did reference Kurt Angle when he came in Mm -hmm. uh, at TLC that he was a little out of practice, but nobody said he's over the hill and old and all that sort of stuff. The men treated one way, and I think fair enough, as legends. Right. Mickey James, a six-time WWE champion, boom, treated as an old woman. That is the height of misogyny. And now let me talk to you from a story point of view with what they should have done. Because if you're going to play that angle, and I can live with that, Alexa Bliss, the bratty, young champion, fine. Mm -hmm. Let her do that to Mickey James. No problem. But if that's the story you're going to tell, then the payoff has to be Mickey James wins. Yes, absolutely. The the heel gets her comeuppance. Mickey James proves that she's not over the hill, that, you know, this is a triumph for women wrestlers and everything. And then Mickey James can drop the title in three weeks or two weeks Mm -hmm. or let her have a little run. My idea would have been, you'll love this because you know I'm not a fan of the wrestler I'm about to talk about. Have Mickey James put into a rivalry with Bailey. Mutual respect. Bailey can take from Mickey James, you know, hand off to the Mm -hmm. next generation. Hey, because it shouldn't be Sasha Banks. Should be, she's a heel uh, or she should be. Bailey is, you know, the obvious on Raw face at the moment. Should be anyway. So let them do a little rivalry. Bailey wins fair and square. They shake hands in the ring. And then Bailey goes into a program with Alexa Bliss. Mm -hmm. And Mickey gets her moment. She gets her seventh title. Alexa Bliss has gotten her comeuppance from a story point of view. And then the sort of ageist thing can pay off by showing that it was, you know, not real. And mm-hmm. that Alexa was just, you know, a brat. Fine. But nope, they didn't do that. She beat her and then she beat her again. <sighs> and basically that's like saying, yeah, you know what? A 35 to 37 year old woman, she's a crone. Yep. Um, meanwhile, Kane squashing today. Uh... Finn Balor. I, yeah. I, the, so that was my big loss for a whole host of reasons. That's fair. The thing that made me angry about the whole Bliss and James thing was I thought we were going to get that because they were in the main event slot. And then I quickly realized, oh, once again, actually the women's match was second to the men's storyline. Vince didn't give a flying crap about that match. It was simply, well, what can we put on last that he doesn't see as important? that we can immediately jump into the bronze storyline. It sort of makes everybody, like whenever they say we're all in favor of the woman's revolution or, um, you know, yay, woman power and everything, and we really treat these wrestlers, they're as good as the guys, and the truth is they are. Mm -hmm. In terms of the ring, more of them can go than some of the guys that we're seeing. And in terms of storytelling, there are so many stories you could tell. Yes. And then they basically just treat it still like an afterthought. It's, and yeah. it's and then what they did with Emma, that's my overarching uh, existential fail of the women's division for the last, I don't know, four years. Right. 
But in particular, this Mickey James Alexa Bliss thing, when I saw it, I was really angry because I said, wow, that's um, a disservice to Mickey James. It's a disservice to women in general, especially when you trot out the Susan G. Komen folks and you say, you know what? Oh, we, we love women and we're going to support them and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then we're just going to pretend that a 35 to 37, 38 year old woman is over the hill. I, I don't know why they think they think this is a good idea because it, they did the whole uh, was it Piggy James? Oh yeah, a cut like years ago during the Divas era of wrestling. Yeah, like Mickey James has been the dumping ground of yeah. bad ideas for her entire career, and she's persevered. Absolutely, I just find it so bizarre that you have her coming back, and and your storyline idea is, well, she's old. You, you're telling me that you can't think for more than five minutes and come up with some of the storyline. You can have Bliss, like, disrespect her. I'm sorry, but Mickey James isn't old on any radar whatsoever. Right, and to make that story pay off, she's got to win. Yes. So where does Mickey James go from here? What's her story coming out of this? Here's your answer. Nobody cares. Oh, yeah, that's what I figured. I also found it weird, too, on a story standpoint, because it, um, Mickey James was brought back... This isn't quite storyline, but uh, Mickey James was brought back because Trish Stratus got pregnant. Like she was supposed to face Oscar, I think it was Oscar, for the title in NXT. Trish can't wrestle pregnant, so uh, Mickey James came in and did it. And then she debuts on SmackDown with the mask and Mickey and uh, Alexa Bliss's kind of um, goon. Mm -hmm. They didn't really play on that much. They have a history. Why aren't they playing on that? It's one of the biggest problems I have with um, when they bring in. That people like Nia Jax and Bailey. Bailey beat Nia Jax in NXT. There was a story there. So when Bailey comes to WWE and then Nia Jax comes to WWE and Nia's going through all these jobbers and she's got this kind of streak going on, like, oh, it's going to be exciting because she's going to get to Bailey and Bailey will be like, hey, I beat you. I'm the one that has beaten you. Let's do this. And I believe if I remember correctly, Bailey gets squashed by Nia Jax. I, their consistency of storyline drives me nuts because they tend to find this one simplistic idea and move on instead of building kind of on the threads that are already there. There is no storyline consistency. None at all. <laughs> I'm trying hard to think of some, maybe with somebody like Cena, they mm. put some effort into it or Roman Reigns, maybe they put some effort into it and that's fair. Yeah. They're the big guys, fine. But if you're not one of those two or three guys yeah. and they're all guys then, yeah, it's kind of like they're sort of writing it on cocktail napkins at the bar the night before the show begins. And that's, you know, I shot a film like that once. That's just no way to <laughs> sort of structure a story, folks. It's why we have scripts and screenplays and we think this stuff through. And, you know, you think through like two, three, four films down the road if you want to do sequels. And what they're doing right now is lucasing it, as I like to call it. Taking it one step at a time. Yeah, because, you know, when Luke kisses his sister in Empire Strikes Back... I don't care what George says now. It's like, yeah, I had a plan. I knew what was going to happen in all these films. No, you didn't. You didn't know they were brother and sister. Like, that That wasn't a peck on the cheek. <laughs> She's trying to make Han Solo jealous. I mean, yeah. even the Wookiee goes, you know. Yeah. So you had no idea. You, at that point, with the Vince McMahon or Kevin Dunn of Star Wars storytelling. Nice. Yeah. Good reference. It, speaking of inconsistency, it's, it's funny because even, apparently even Hunter isn't within the uh, let's keep it consistent for your character because WWE just posted on Twitter a video of uh, it was Seth and Dean and the honorary shield member for the night Triple H who was donning the the shield riot gear I don't know if anybody remembers but um, the last time I believe they were in the ring together 
Seth and Hunter were beating the living hell out of each other. So have we just moved on? And I usually, and I was telling Paul this on the way here, I don't mind if it's like this live event thing for the fans at the live event. Cool. But right. if you start tweeting it out, now it's part of your storyline. Mm-hmm. WWE, you have made it apparent this happened through your Twitter because you you know you boast this social media thing and it's important to you to be like, that's how we found out Kurt Angle was going to be at Survivor uh, TLC. Now it's part of your storyline. So how do you explain that? I bet you they won't. They never will even mention it. They go for the quick hit. Yeah. So they clearly have developed into an era where they're going for, hey, what's going to get us a pop tonight? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. almost like, you know, uh, the Spinal Tap guys showing up in the Springfield episode, you know, the Simpsons episodes, and they go, hey, it's great. And he flips the guitar to be in Springfield, and it's written on the back of the guitar. Yeah. It's the Mick Foley kind of cheap pop, but, you know, with Foley and the Spinal Tap thing in the Simpsons, it's done for laughs. In WWE, it is the consistent yeah. modus operandi. So you have characters, and the, they're, they're characters, folks. I mean, yes, they're wrestlers and they're superstars or whatever you want to call them, and they're amazing performers. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's a scripted show, so they are yeah. characters. Exactly. So you have to look at them the same way you'd look at Michael Corleone and The Godfather or whatever. These are men and women that are characters that have stories and they're playing parts. And a lot of it is, as, um, as a wrestler around here once told me when I was doing a documentary on uh, mainstream wrestling years ago, guy named Steve LaRock, who played Damian Dredd. And I asked him, you know, who's Damian Dredd? And he said, well, he's Steve LaRock amped up to 12. Sure. And fair enough. But there was, you know, he said, this is me. But it's not really who I am. And he was actually quite a sensitive guy and he was going to police college or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he had it within him to amp it up. But that was his character. Fine. But he understood it was a character. So you see these, these stories and they are failing the character. It is the Godfather part three. That's what we're seeing in WWE right now, where you have the characters but you don't have the story to go with it. Their motivations don't make any sense most of the time. There's no sense of history, as you pointed out. So it's like, well, Emma's the perfect example. No reference to her matches with Asuka in NXT. Nothing. Like these two have history, good history. Nope. And then, great, you know you're going to release, now we're into Emma. Oh, Oh, did you hear when they found out when she found out she was going to be released? No. It was before the pay-per-view. Oh, well, good for her for putting yeah. on, you know, good matches. But if you know you're going to release her, so that that just proves my point. You yeah. know she's going. You're bringing in Asuka, so this makes no story sense. Mm-hmm. You owe Emma nothing at this point. I, I love Emma, but, you know, if you're the company, it's like, sure, yeah. we need you to go out there. You're still under contract and take a quick pin. This is a squash match, like they did to the jobber this past week. That's what they should have done. You want Asuka to come in and like, she's a monster. Nope. Emma goes out, wrestles a really competitive match, looks great doing it. And for a brief moment, I thought, I know she's going to lose, but uh, this is uh, promising. Maybe they'll find something finally for Emma to do. She was telling a story. Right. That she had a chance. And the next night, same thing. Looked good, still lost. I'm okay with that. I'm thinking, well, this doesn't serve Asuka as well as it could have, but I get it. You're trying to build Asuka up Mm -hmm. and she wins both times. And you're also trying to give a little service to Emma cool. And then you release Emma. Well, what? Wait, hold on now. Then that makes no sense. Yeah. Zero sense. Unless, you know, Emma's got pictures of Vince and she knows she's on the way out. And she says, listen, you need to have, (laughs) let me go with a couple of strong matches so I can book better fees on the indies or whatever. It makes no sense from a story point of view. So it is literally like, you know, you've kicked Emma for her entire career. Mm -hmm. And then on her way out the door, you give her two nonsensical matches. For, yeah. for no reason. It's madness. I Speaking of story with her, and, and we talked about this a little bit last night, uh, 
the way that I thought the Emma storyline was going, because she has been kind of touting, I started the women's revolution. That was her kind of thing for a little while there. I was thinking, okay, that has to lead somewhere to one of the figureheads of the women's revolution, whether it's one of the four horsewomen or, you know, one of the early ones, maybe Stephanie. I don't know what it's going to be. I genuinely thought that that storyline was leading for a page return where Emma kept getting these wins, these kind of fluky wins that she was getting or whatever. And then Paige comes back, who, you know, storyline purposes, you could argue that she was a part of that women's revolution beginning. And then we have that feud, and they go on. But then they just kind of, they jumped into Asuka, they kind of forgot about all that, and then she got fired. Yeah. Holy. So there's so much to unpack here with Emma, and I don't just mean her suitcase when she lands wherever her plane is going to land. Settle down there, Leo Rush. Yeah, Leo. Yeah, sorry. Um, She's leaving on a jet plane. And I'm not sure she's going to be back again. Nice. So (laughs) trying to pinpoint where it all went wrong with Emma is, so you can pick one of three things Mm -hmm. when she first debuted. And I watched it again last night on YouTube. And there she is and she comes out and they immediately pair her up with Fandango, who was cold as ice, Summer Rae, and let's spare a thought for Summer Rae, who was released this week too. Along with Darren Young. None of the main eventers, although I think Emma could have been. But solid talent who worked hard. So so there she is. And they put her in a dance-off. Is it Was that her return? Yeah. No, that was her for when she first showed up on the main roster. And he pulled her out of the crowd. Who would like to dance off? I choo-choo-choose you. And I, Emma jumps in. He goes, this is Emma from NXT. I thought Emma Emma had the Santino thing before NXT was a thing, though. Well, that, no, that's what I'm talking about. When Santino pulled her he out of the Fondango. crowd. said Fandango. No, Fandango was working with Summer Rae. So it was Santino was working against Fandango. Fandango had Summer Rae as his manager. Was that her ballet. debut? And she's Ugh. in the crowd and Santino goes, who, I take somebody from the crowd. Anyone in the crowd can beat you. And he goes, I choo choo choose. He does the Ralph Wiggum thing. You. And Emma oh, hops right. the rope. She had the sign. Because she, she had been doing that for a couple of weeks. Right. You're right. Okay. I remember that. Yeah. But this was when, so this is, you know, and she had been a, a lovably goofable character. Or goof- goofable. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> A goofy, lovable character, but, you know, still could go in the ring in NXT. You bring her up, immediately put her into a dance-off with Summer Rae. Okay, so maybe that's where you ruin her. But Mm. nope, she persevered, and she somehow made the pink cobra work, and, you know, fine. And then she had a little bit of bad luck with some injuries, and that happens. And then, but I still think you could have salvaged the character. Yes. But not after Emelina. Now, there's one thing you're missing there, too, on the road of... uh, Emma's destruction? Yes. Um, I'm sure there'll be a be DVD coming out, The Self-Destruction of Emma. Uh, no, she um, she got caught stealing one time, too. Right, yeah. Which, she got fired for a whole 24 hours, and then apparently it was just a misconception, and she, she got back on. So there's actually been a lot more road bumps than I realized when I went back to this. But I agree with you. I think, and maybe you don't think this, but I, I think the one thing that was the deciding factor that I believe caused heat... And from what I'm reading, caused heat with the writers, caused heat with everybody involved because they invested time in this character, which I hated the character because hot isn't a character, is Emelina. Right. And going back to her shoplifting thing. Yeah. By all accounts, that and people do this. I did it once. You pick something up and you forget to pay for it. If you're shopping and like the, the idea that uh, Emma or her real name, Tennille Dashwood, right? Mm-hmm. 
for 30 bucks, I think it was a $30 thing. It was an iPad case, I think. Yeah. Like I something. mean, she's not getting paid millions of dollars, but she's well paid. Yes. So I that stretches credibility. At the very least, the company should say, hey, let's get to the bottom of this and find out what the story is and blah, blah, blah. But no. And they do that for a, a host of other stars. Yeah. It's clear they just don't like Australians. That has to be what it is at the core. But so there are these things that happen, and I think she was treated unfairly. But mm-hmm. Emelina. So yeah. here's a woman who can go in the ring. She's as good, frankly, as Sasha Banks or Bailey. Yeah, easily. Um, is she as good as Charlotte? I don't think anyone's as good as Charlotte, but she can certainly, you know, she's in the Becky Lynch. They're all, she's in that group mm-hmm. and Paige. So you bring her out and her basic character, as you say, is, hey, she's hot. That's it. Okay. So what's the rest of it? I'm hot and I'm sexy and I'm seductive and eventually I'm going to show up and yeah, I don't know what, I'm going to wrestle in my evening gown or whatever. My bathing suit. Because didn't she come out yeah. when she finally came out and said, Emmalina is going away and Emma will debut soon? Was she, she was wearing a dress, was she not? Yeah. yeah. I, it's just. Like you can almost <sighs> see her in the back head butting the wall. Like honest to God. Banging her head against the wall. And then, so then you wonder, okay, well, why do some people, this happens with actors too or anything. Why do some people rise to the top and why do some people, and some people, their personalities just don't click. I don't know her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. She could be a real handful to deal with. Sure. Backstage. She might be a pain in the ass. She could be the most hated woman in the locker room. And if that's if that's the truth, then you would think, great, she's not going to get a chance. Whoa, Enzo. Mm-hmm. Apparently being the most hated person in the locker room doesn't necessarily torpedo your career. In fact, it might get you the purple belt. Get your main event spots on Raw right. three weeks in a row. So even if she is the most hated woman in the locker room, and I can't see that being the case, but even if she is, I mean, who cares? If you don't want her on your roster, fire her. If you are going to keep her on your roster, it must be because you see something there you can use. Give her a story. It doesn't have to be a world champion story. She can be a mid-carder. She can even be enhancement talent. I think that's a total waste of Emma. But if she's going to be enhancement talent, make it enhancement talent that can get somebody over. Mm -hmm. She had that case. She she would do in the ring whatever people asked of her. And what they did to her, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not. There are worse crimes in the world. So yes, but in the context of what we're talking about, but in the context of pro wrestling, yeah, I cannot think of another wrestler in the last five to 10 years, Bray Wyatt's in there. Rusev is certainly in there. They're in that ballpark. He he is now, but I can't think of anybody they've done such a disservice to than Emma. Anybody who maybe, maybe people who've been equal, like Rusev has been as badly treated as Emma, you know, on the same level. But consistently though, because even, even Rusev had one hell of a WrestleMania entrance that one time. And he held the title. For a very long time. He was, you know, the guy of the U.S. title picture for a while. Emma from beginning to end, it's, it's so weird because when she's allowed to tell stories, she's great. She's probably one of the best in the women's division. In and out of the ring. Yes. And... It just baffles my mind that they they decide to go after these stereotypical 80s, mid-90s kind of subset of these storylines. Do you know what I don't care about? And, and I, I will say this. I don't like Nia Jax. If the rumor and innuendo are true about why she left and the pull she used with her her family member, The Rock, hmm. I think it's I think it's horse crap, and I think you you need to get over it, bust your butt, earn whatever stripes you need to earn. Don't use somebody else's fame, The Rock. You, you know, we can out. say we can say horse shit on this podcast. Cool. I think it's horse shit. And I think Nia Jax hasn't earned that yet. I think she's an okay wrestler at best. But her entire storyline is she's a big monster. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, and that, okay. But that's a thing. 
in pro wrestling and it, in Vince's world, so fine. Sure, but Emma, who is as a story for not backstage storyline purposes, is now climbing the ladder of the women's division. No, she's she's gotten these wins, whether they were flukes or not. She's proving herself that she can be storyline wise a very good asset to the wrestling company. Nia Jax just walks out because she's she's mad at her storyline. Hmm. And then she comes back and beats Bailey in five minutes, and now she's on team Raw Women's whatever. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I have a feeling the entire Emma thing came down to, well, who do you know? Sofia Coppola got in The Godfather 3 because Francis Ford Coppola is her father. Yes. I mean, terrible cast, one of the worst casting decisions of film <laughs> history. She's a fine director, but as an actress, terrible. But when you look at what they were doing with Emma, mm-hmm. The idea, I start, yeah, I'll do my M accent. I started the Diva Rebel. No, I'm not going to do my M accent. You sound like you're selling newspapers at the corner of an orphanage. What was that? <laughs> I started the Diva. Hey, mister, would you like extra, 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 extra. fired from WWE. Crocodile eats a dingo. Um, <laughs> wait, no, dingo, the dingo ate the crocodile. You got your copy wrong, you stupid uh, newspaper person. So um, it was probably. Fake news, it was probably, sad. Probably the Chronicle Herald. So the, um, that's nobody outside Halifax will understand that. That's a, that's a cheap stab, folks. We that's, get cheap pops, we have cheap stabs. This yeah. is a segment we like to call Cheap Stab. <laughs> so it almost seems like they were using her to road test what they will use with Paige, which is, oh yeah, I started this and kaboom, I'm just going to lay waste to you pretenders and now I'm back on top. And that's it's interesting. Like, is this, is this going to work? Because... That should be Paige's story when she comes back. That should be her gimmick. That should be her story. Yeah. That writes itself. And it works actually better for her than it did for Emma. Yep. Because while they were both there, Paige actually held titles and stuff. It just makes more sense. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to use it with Emma, and they hinted a bit at it with Mickey James too, early in her brief and failed run, um, you know, the idea that I was here first and I never maybe got the credit I deserve, so I'm back kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Um, that's, that's that's good. That's good writing. That's actually a good storyline. Makes sense. The problem is you never let Emma do anything with it. No. And so why would you give it to her? That's bad. That's bad writing too. Like if you have a good storyline, why would you waste it on a bad character? And at this point, folks, when I say Emma's a bad character, I think Emma's a great wrestler. And I think, you know, she's going to have a great career outside. Tennille Dashwood is going to have a great career. Dylan and I were joking on Twitter. Find a role for Tennille in our next uh, feature film because, yeah, you, you know, she's oozing <laughs> talent and she's got a great look. And, you know, I've seen her on Twitter when she does her cooking stuff. She seems like a really kind of cool, funky, um, has a broad range of interests. Very yeah. interesting. So she'll be fine. But when I say she's a failed character, I mean Emma. And at the point when they gave her this this idea that, you know, I'm going, I was the original progenitor of the women's divas revolution. Uh, you're wasting that angle on her. Yes. Because you know you're not going to cash that in. So wait until Paige comes back. Or let Mickey James and give it to her and let her really do it. Or wait until Trish Stratus comes back or whatever. Nope. And that's interesting, too. Because if, if you have all these people like Emma, like, uh, you know, Sasha Banks, if they finally turn her heel, they're all saying that we started the women's revolution. And then Mickey James comes out and says, no, 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 no. No. Me and Trish started the women's resolution. Me and Lita started. That'd be a pretty interesting feud. It would be an interesting Survivor Series feud. Ah, uh, yeah. That story writes itself. Yeah. But instead, we got Raw versus SmackDown. So, do you want to see uh, Natalia and Bliss? Not really, because I want a story. There's no story here. Hold on. Ugh. 
I want to see Mahal and Lesnar. Of course you do. Because one of two things will happen. Either Brock Lesnar will kill him, mm-hmm. literally, <laughs> or Mahal wins. I have it 50-50 right now. I can't believe I'm saying that. No, it's the Large Hadron Collider universe that yeah. we're post-apocalyptic alternate universe that we're in. But Mahal's getting better. It's taken him a is. while to find his yeah. footing, and he had some dud matches, and the story was, and the stuff he did with Shinsuke Nakamura with the racist tones, it's like, yeah. But he seems to be getting better, and... I would just like to see him beat Brock Lesnar. Because I think it'd be hilariously awesome. From a story point of view and a character point of view, I think it serves both of them better right. than having Lesnar crush him or even win. Yeah. Because the one option that I don't think makes sense is Lesnar wins a close, hard-fought match. That one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Sure. Because um, I don't think that really helps either of them. If Lesnar wins, well, fine. He's just, he's, you crush SmackDown. Yeah. So where does Jinder Mahal as a character go? I don't know. Where does your SmackDown champ? You've, you've literally said SmackDown is the lesser show with the lesser champ, and basically it's the B team. Yeah. But if Mahal wins, forget about this five-on-five five match. Our champ just beat Brock Lesnar. And you can have a rematch where Brock Lesnar crushes him down the road. I'm fine with that. Or you can have Brock Lesnar destroy him. And you can have Jinder Mahal cheat to win. All of that, oh, he has to. Yeah. All of that is true, but I want to see him win. Yeah. Because then he goes to SmackDown and then his character could really take off because he beat Brock Lesnar. Which how many people can say that over the past five years? And imagine from Brock Lesnar's point of view, what you could do story-wise. Heyman goes nuts. Mm -hmm. I want to see Heyman and Lesnar break up someday because that's the natural conclusion to that story for me. Sure. That at some point, Heyman chooses a younger person to replace the aging beast. Mm -hmm. Um, So that just seems to make sense to me. And maybe that's what would do it. I don't know. But Lesnar goes insane. I mean, then you really yeah. set up some interesting opportunities within Raw for Lesnar. Just the anger that would boil over. He can't believe he lost to Jinder Mahal. Plus, then he's beatable. And Which, then it, oh my God, that'd be awesome. <laughs> then it opens it up for guys like Finn Balor and everyone to say, hey, this guy isn't invincible after all. Mm-hmm. Like he just lost to one of the members of Three Man Band. So that... To me, is an interesting match in terms of story stuff. Yep. But it's a one-off. Uh, it, it needs to be, I think. Oh, yeah. But it's a one-off that could lead to interesting things for both of them as they then go travel their their separate paths. Now, do you think um, that we're going to get the usual shtick, win, win, lose, or draw, where we have this match, Lesnar does his thing, Mahal does his thing, even if Mahal wins, and then the next night on Raw, Lesnar's comfortable, and, and then we don't see him for another month? Because if they do that, then they've lost my interest in the story. Because I agree. I want to see what Lesnar did uh, that night after Seth Rollins cashed in. He walks in, he F5s Michael Cole, he just destroys the place, and and Paul Heyman can't handle him anymore. Yeah, and that would be great. Yeah. Especially if he comes back and people come out, you know, he's there and he's just saying, Jinder Mahal cheated. Well, he's probably not saying it, Heyman is. But uh, they go through that routine, and then Raw star after Raw star just comes out and challenges him to matches or you yeah. know, pick one. Right. Everybody wants a piece of him because now he's eminently beatable. Yeah. Love it. The weakened beast. You don't, that's one of the problems. And they didn't, you couldn't do it with Goldberg because he was not believable. Uh, you can with Braun Strowman. You can believe that Braun Strowman could kick Brock Lesnar's butt. But you have to have a beast that's beatable. And that makes him a stronger character. So, and we haven't seen that. Sure, yeah. he, he loses every now and then, but not... He needs to be crushed emotionally. Like, yeah. and really have some self-doubt thrown into him because then that makes his rise again 
that much you know stronger. Sure. And sets him up for his final comeuppance, which is you know he hands the reins off to an up and coming star, Roman Reigns. It's gonna well. It, it's it, gonna be Roman Reigns. We all know it. I really have zero interest in Reigns and Lesnar at Mania, but I think that's where it's going. It might be a little bit more interesting if he is, like you say, a wounded beast. I think the closest that anybody's ever come to making Lesnar look at least slightly vulnerable was CM Punk. Mm-hmm. Because the match they had at SummerSlam, which match of the year for me because it was fantastic, uh, Punk had the upper hand a couple of times. I was like, man, could is this Punk, Punk is smaller than most guys. Is he going to do it? That's kind of cool. If Mahal beats him, not only does it build up SmackDown as kind of the brand, at least for a couple of weeks, but you've kind of cut that Achilles heel of a beast. Now he's on one knee. He's like a wounded bear. Enter Finn Balor. So, Kane. Yes. I don't like what they've done because I don't like where they're headed, which is... Braun. Yeah. And I don't think Braun needs it. Like, there's a 50-year-old guy, a dozen other guys that Braun could fight. Well, he oh. just he just took out Big Show. I know. Does he have to take cocaine too? No, it's like Vince in the back. I need giants fighting giants. Uh, that's right. all I can think of. So I digress. <laughs> um, and full props to Vince McMahon for building a multinational empire, global behemoth that bestrides the wrestling world. See, but if it... anybody's past his prime, it's not Mickey James, it's Vince McMahon. <laughs> so um, if you had Kane squashing Finn Balor, right. or at least beating him clean and pretty thoroughly... Three choke slams later. What is Kane? As a character? Mm-hmm. Uh, if the past four years didn't happen, I would say he was the, you know, the devil's favorite demon, you know. So, who should he be fighting? He's the demon of Raw. Yeah. Why does he go after Finn Balor? Because Finn Balor's the demon of Raw. Yeah. That's the match. That's the story. That's the story. That's the match. That's yeah. that. And then you either put Balor over. I mean, if you want Kane to win for some strange reason i can't imagine why fine put kane over but no put balor over Mm -hmm. and then he takes over as the new demon and you know me i prefer balor when he's in demon mode and i think he should be in demon mode a lot more often and sure whatever but sure he gets clobbered by kane fine he's a 160 pound guy who should probably be in the cruiserweight division and he gets clobbered by a demon monster Mm -hmm. well okay now whose character do we want to serve kane Braun Strowman, and we can serve Braun Strowman with any one of another, you know, mid-carters or whatever, or Finn Balor, who is a genuine bona fide star. We yeah. serve Finn Balor by having him slay the demon of the past, and yep. then he's the demon of Raw, and he's proven he can beat a big guy. So where does he go next? Brock Lesnar. Which I think is very interesting. There's also one match involved in there that I think is, now that you say that, I think it's kind of an interesting story to tell. You know, what if you do have Finn Balor, who took out the devil's favorite demon, versus Roman Reigns, the guy who took out the demon of Death Valley? You have these guys who have taken out the Brothers of Destruction. They can go at it. I mean, uh, Finn Balor's debut match on Raw during that tournament or whatever for the WWE uh, Universal title. Yeah, it was the match. It was the match to have the first, uh, to crown the first champion. Um, it was a good match. Those guys threw it down. And you add a story into that? Now it's interesting. Now it's cool. So what they did was they used the whole demon and not demon Finn Balor thing, mm-hmm. which I like. Oh, demon Balor, I summon the powers. I'm stronger. I mean, under, it's a time-honored tradition. They've done yes. it throughout history with some great characters. Cool. Who'd they waste that on? Bray Wyatt. God. No offense to Bray Wyatt. He needs to go away for a year, come back as something else. Poor bastard. And he's in that Emma Rusev category of failed characters, failed stories. Mm-hmm. 
but so don't waste it on that. Have Finn do it. I'm cool. I've always liked Kane. Kane's, you know, a Hall of Famer. He's not the Undertaker. He's no, a he's but... a good, solid B to B plus every year player. He he does whatever they've asked of him. He's good in the ring. He can be a monster. He's he, even though he did that corporate Kane stooge stick and everything. I'm willing. We're in the era of people will forget stuff. I'm willing to let that go if they brought him back. Crush a few jobbers first, mm -hmm. and uh, and then maybe one or two mid carders, and then it's Balor. Yeah, and yeah. that's the story. You could tell that all the way to WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. And when Balor beats him, then you set him up. I'm the demon. I'm the resident supernatural demon. I'm taking over more or less for the Undertaker and Kane. Yeah, and it's not Wyatt that I have to beat. Who cares if you beat Wyatt? You just beat Kane. Yeah, you might even be able to get a match in, out of the Undertaker. I don't know. Well, I'm, he is coming back January twenty fifth. Fine, maybe, maybe that's the end game. Although I don't, I don't think so. I, um, but Kane is a good second place if you have yes. to slay a demon. You retire him, off you go, yeah. and then you springboard into a campaign against Brock Lesnar. Or if it's Roman Reigns by that point, cool. I'm yeah. gonna take out, I'm gonna take out everybody because mm -hmm. that's what demons do. Yeah, and Dylan and I are ghost hunters on television. On ace TV demon set, hunter, over and here. he's an ace demon hunter. So we know our demons. So yeah, but weirdly enough. Finn Balor, even when being squashed by Kane, is not the member of the Bullet Club that has been most misused on Raw. Because this past Monday, yeah. they took Anderson and Gallows. And sunk them to their newest lows, I think. It's a toss-up between that and when they were lab technicians talking about urine. Yeah, good point. That was, that was bad, but I think this one was even worse. Because I don't know how you come back from this. Well, I, I, I don't understand the logic of, um, okay, let's, let's cross the streams here. Marvel, you know, the, the top box office draw for cinematic universes, okay? This is going to be a really weird metaphor, but it'll make sense in a second. Um, there's one thing they, they don't do is that they haven't crossed over their TV and their movies yet because they want to keep them separate, and fair enough. WWE just kind of did that but in a way where it didn't make any sense, is they have these Southpaw regional wrestling characters, which I enjoy. I think it's super funny. Um, Jericho is my favorite on that because the guy's just... Jericho is my favorite Canadian entertainer. Um, but it just doesn't make sense because you're hauling these characters over from a niche kind of, you know, cult hit with Southpaw regional wrestling. You think the kids are going to know who uh, Too Bad... I can't remember his name. The... Something, something too bad. Whoever Carl Anderson's character is, no one's going to know who that is. No one gets the joke. You have Rhino and Heath Slater dressed up like Santa Claus for some reason, which I never understood. Why do you have these two guys who are part of what should be the most exciting faction building in wrestling right now mm -hmm. dressed up like their characters on a web show? It makes no sense. Carl Anderson is one of the best wrestlers on the roster. Yes. When I'm, he can go, he can go. I'm not a huge fan of Gallows, never have been. Sure. But he, he is what he is. He's a big guy and part of the tag team, and he was in the Bullet Club. Yeah. Fine. I'm okay with that. But I remember him as Festus, too. Sure. So, you know, but still, he I give credit to him rebuilding his career. So but, he's a good, solid mid-cutter. But you're right. right. Carl Anderson. He's the he's, guy. He's Stone Cold Steve Austin, only different, but he's got that vibe. Yeah. And when you see the guy deliver a spine buster. Yes. He lives up to the Anderson name. I'll say that. Yes. You, funny thing is, and we're talking about story. Storyline-wise, Festus is dead. Because when CM Punk did his Straight Edge Society, he brought out Luke Gallows and said, 
this man was, I can't remember the specifics, but this man was uh, all, he was uh, he was not right. He was not in the right place. A wayward soul, lost, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And then he rebuilt him as a little gallows, and for a while he was, he was this threat. I just think as a storyline, you have Finn, whether Vince said to do it or not, you have Finn Balor and AJ Styles teasing the club. You have so many wrestlers on your damn roster you're not doing anything with. Why are we not building factions? The club is the easiest thing. You know what you have? You have Finn Balor be the last one to join. Because we've already seen AJ and the club. They've done their thing. Have them start doing these cross-promotional things. Like, they run this kind of streets. And then you have Finn Balor join. It's like, oh, man, now the team's here. Holy crap. And then you can kind of do what NWO did. Don't go overboard where everybody's a damn member of the NWO because it gets ridiculous. Add one or two guys over the next two years that you don't expect. Well, see, somebody, something tells me that Vince or whoever's doing the writing goes, well, we have a faction. Uh, it's just tag team wrestling, right? So yeah. uh, who cares about tag team wrestling? No. Yeah. You get the shield. Good. Give Roman Reigns the world title. Let Dean and Seth have the tag team titles. Or mm -hmm. give Roman Reigns the world title. Let Seth have you know go after the Intercontinental title. Dean gets in a really good program with somebody else. They're a faction. They help each other out. Yep. Um, but they all have their own narratives as well. Exactly. You can do that with the Bullet Club. Mm -hmm. So, cool. Gallows and Anderson going for the tag team title. Uh, Finn Balor, AJ Styles, you're going for the world title, whatever. It just drives me nuts because you could tell so many good stories because if you start building these factions, and I mean, you look at the mid-90s, factions were, sure. everybody had to be in a faction. If you weren't in a faction, you were probably going to get fired. It's the only reason uh, WCW survived yeah. long enough to challenge WWE was the new world order. You had a faction. And y you could build all these factions slowly, but then leave the top guys like Cena, Orton, leave them out, right? And right. then they start like, you know, I'm getting sick of these factions. Cena and Orton can team up and try to do something. Bring in. I've always thought, and we've talked about this, I always thought a great new kind of four horsemen stable would be the OVW bunch, which is what they call Lesnar, Batista, Orton, and Cena. Imagine those guys were a faction. Yeah. Everybody would be like, oh, crap. I want to beat those guys. Yeah, or, so cool. Or you know, we need to form our own faction to fight this faction, which yeah. is eventually what in WCW and some things, folks, did work from a story point of view in WCW at least yeah. for a while. The early NWO is one of the great stories of all time. Yes, and then people would have to work together to combat NWO, including some loners mm -hmm. like Sting would have to find allies that they could work with. And because, that's a, yeah, you build up these smaller characters right. who don't have anything to do. Can you imagine one of these guys too? Like you know. You think that one of these guys, it's like Sammy Zayn's heel turn I thought was pretty good. From a story standpoint, they kind of muddy the waters a little bit, but I thought it was fun in the moment, long term. I don't know quite what they're doing. Imagine one of these guys, these fan favorites, right? Like, so you just, you, you never want to boo these guys or whatever. And they turn and they go in one faction that you hate. It's like, holy hell, I got to see how this turns out. And the best thing about it is that no matter who is involved in what match, the whole faction doesn't have to come out. That's because right. that person is representing a bigger story. You know what ah. it is? What is one of the great cinematic story tropes of the 20th century? And it continues now with shows like Narcos. Mobs. Mm -hmm. What are yeah. mobs? Factions. Yeah. Hey, it's the uh, it's the uh, Corleone clan versus the other, the Tatalias and the other five families. Mm -hmm. It's family, it's clan, it's, it's that stuff writes itself. Because sure. people like to see groups of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's always the outsiders, yep. the people that can work within, a, you know, so yeah, we do business with Lucky Luciano, but we also do business with Al Capone. We're kind of not part of any of the mob families. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you're forced to pick a side. 
Um, take superheroes. Yeah. Superman is awesome. Batman is awesome. Aquaman, less so, but still. They're all members of the Justice League. Right. And that's fine. Nobody says, hey, you know what? We don't need the Justice League. Factions, ugh, who needs factions? Who needs the Avengers? Ugh, Thor, you go do your thing on your own. I mean, what's going to make Thor Ragnarok such a good movie from all the reviews? It's got the Hulk in it. So you're putting <laughs> kind of a faction together and you bring Valkyrie in and you've got Loki, who's the bad guy, who's sort of maybe a good guy. Yeah. And so it's kind of a faction. And yeah, and then you're, you're up against an existential threat in, in Hela. That's cool. That kind of storytelling is easy. Unless you're a writer at the WWE, <laughs> where it doesn't seem to be, it's like, oh, that sounds complicated. We're going to have to put Lord. some... Good Lord. Uh, heck, we can just have Braun coming out of a, a different trash truck. Because and... <laughs> he, he jumped ship to another... I, well, I, it'll I... be cool if we have a GoPro down there picking him up from the ground up. That And they're probably thinking... I saw that shot in Citizen Kane. Yes. That's going to be an awesome shot. Yeah, you know what? It worked in Citizen Kane because it, you know, it worked movie. for this. It's a freaking movie. Yeah. You're allegedly a reality show and this is happening in real time. Why was your cameraman there about to get run over by a garbage truck? <laughs> it's like, I got to get this shot in case somehow somebody comes out of the back of this truck. I'm you just, never know. Yeah. I, that camera guy, he deserves a raise. He does. So I got a question for you. So I got a question for you. Um because we're coming up on our 60-minute time limit here. And Shoot. I, I'm curious, who currently in WWE, whether Raw, SmackDown, NXT, whatever you want to call it, who is, in your mind, the best storyteller in and out of the ring? Hmm. Awkward pause. Best storyteller in and out of the ring. What if it's somebody who's only really out of the ring? Sure, absolutely. Stephanie McMahon. That's a good one. Stephanie McMahon, and I'll give you an answer with a wrestler, an actual in-ring performer too, but Stephanie McMahon, when she came out the other night and said, you missed me just a little bit. Yeah. She's right. Yep. She's all, now you can't overuse her. And so, and they usually do that eventually. Mm -hmm. But when she's used properly in, in sort of small to mid-sized doses, awesome. Yeah. She's better than her dad ever was. And she's better than Shane. And honestly, as a storyteller, she's better than her husband. She's got it. Yep. She's, yeah. So Stephanie McMahon. But if I had to go with a wrestler, somebody on the active roster roster working, ah, uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. Let me think. Um, well, remembering these stories are being, so they're working with the stories that they're being given. So that Yeah, in the parameters a, of, you know. Yeah, that has a bit of an impact on them. Yes. Um, Samoa Joe. You know what? I was going to go there. Um, I was I was actually stuck between Joe and and Cena and and Cena the only, the only reason I'm not going to say Cena is because he's not really that active. True, so but I'll he, say, he's an all time uh, legend, and whatever you think of John Cena, he yeah. knows how to tell and make a story work. Usually, well, it, it's it's the one thing because I'll get bored of Cena as we all do as wrestling fans because there's there's been a lot of storylines that are the same. Um, but the way that Cena can cut a promo and get you invested into what he's he gets us to drink the Kool Aid. That's yep. kind of the best way to do it. And then in the match, you see, like, when he's fighting AJ, it's like, yeah, he's taking this seriously. When he's going after Nakamura, there's a buzz in the air, and you can see the way Cena's looking at him like he knows. I just think he's a really good storyteller. No matter what you think of John, he's a good storyteller. They he's, call him Big Match John for a reason. He's big time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Joe, my favorite segment of this past Raw was Joe coming out, basically saying, uh, did you guys hear some of you may have missed me? Well, I didn't miss any of you. And he just came out the way that I wrote it in my notes was, 
Samoa Joe came out to eat, and that's exactly what he did, and he left. It's yep. like, man, I know exactly what he, he is. I know what he stands for. I know what he's working towards. Sweet. That's yes. awesome. Totally committed to his character. Um, you know what? Jericho, when he's around, oh, is the God, best. Yeah. Of, I, no, I'm not going to say all time, but he's the best of the current generation, and I include anybody in the last 10 or 15 years. Sure. Jericho is sublime. Kevin Owens is good, too. Yep. I mean, there are other really good guys. Um, in the women's division, uh, I actually think Charlotte's actually really good at storytelling, um, both inside yeah. and outside the ring. She's become a lot better. I, I love what they what she they sometimes give her crap to work with, and she mm -hmm. still manages to make it work. Uh, but yeah, Samoa Joe, and especially like when he when he was in the ring, I remember that segment, and he's whispering, and he's like, "This is what I'm going to do to you, Paul." The Paul, yeah, that was this, so good. I mean, it's like. Yeah. If somebody backstage told you to do that, Joe, mm -hmm. then that person should be elevated to head writer and they should write every story <laughs> because they know what they're doing. Yes. But I suspect that's not the case. I suspect you and Paul Heyman worked out mm -hmm. how that was going to go down. Yeah. Kudos to both of you. Like, yeah. brilliant. So here's my question to you then. Who's the worst or the most disappointing current uh, storyteller? Oh, I, I hate to say this. Um... And, and it's not so much that, oh, God, he's awful. It's more, why are you guys writing him this way? Because he's so much better. And it's actually a tie between Bobby Roode and Nakamura. I thought Bobby Roode's first promo with Dolph Ziggler was one of the worst in history. Not because Roode's bad promo guy, but you can very clearly tell, here's your script. Don't deviate. Go. Mm -hmm. and, and we've talked about this. Roode as a good guy, I don't think he's comfortable in it yet. I think he should have came in as the bad guy. It made more sense. Um, but those are actually my two. I hate to say that. And on a disappointment level, if I was just going off, who can I not stand on a weekly basis? It's Jason Jordan. Because he has been shoehorned, not his fault. He's been shoehorned into a storyline that there is no good ending to. At least none that I can figure out. Uh, Elias. Actually, you know what? Elias would probably be up there as my best. Because every week I get excited when Elias comes on television. He's pretty good. He's yeah. he's not Samoa Joe, but he's no. he's a guy who's going to be, if they use him right, I don't think he's an upper card guy, but I think he's a solid mid-carder. No. Have have the, he's the honky-tonk man sure. in, a, in a different way. But yeah. have an intercontinental title run. He can yeah. do that kind of stuff. Maybe challenge for a world title once or twice, but you know yeah. he's good. He's a good, solid guy, but he's, he's invested in the story. Mm -hmm. You're right. I love it. Easy for me. And you know what? I am going to say it's his fault. Jason Jordan. Okay, yeah, we're kind of on the same page there. <laughs> because, and it's easy to say Bray Wyatt, and frankly, you know what, Randy Orton, I, you're just lazy. Mm -hmm. At some point, you're not investing into the stories, and I know you're a, a Hall of Famer and a legend, but, you know, if you're going to be on the payroll, there are other wrestlers who get worse opportunities, and they manage to try and make it look like they make it work. Randy phones it in a lot. Nakamura's been phoning it in. I know they haven't given him a lot to do, but... Mm -hmm. So I'm not disagreeing with you on any of that. Uh, we can do an entire episode next week on Bobby Roode and how they have failed to um, treat yeah. him properly because he is a heel, not a face. And they yep. are basically booking him based on one entrance theme, yep. which is stupid. I agree. But Jason Jordan. Okay. So Jason Jordan in the ring, talented. Yeah. Is he the most talented guy? No, but he's up there. He's clearly okay. got the talent. I knew within 10 minutes of seeing Jason Jordan that he didn't have it. He will never have it. He is the Marty Jannetty of American Alpha. Ooh. And Gable is the Shawn Michaels. I can agree with that. But here's the crazy part. They mixed it up. Yeah. Because Gable <laughs> looks like Marty Jannetty. He's sort of, he, he has the hair and everything. Yeah. And I think Vince in the back went, 
uh, how'd Janetti get back on the roster? He's smaller now. What happened? Anyway, uh, let's just uh, elevate. And Shawn Michaels doesn't look quite the same. It's, you know, but Kurt, is that your kid? <laughs> is that your kid? Whatever. We're just going to push him because he looks like <laughs> the guy we push. And Gables, they're both good wrestlers. Yes. But the, the ceiling for Jordan is mid-carter at best. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have it. And folks, this is sports entertainment. And we're coming at it some degree from the entertainment point of view, he will never be a good storyteller. I, I just, you look at him and it's like watching an actor in an audition and go, you know, it's not that you're wrong for this role. You're just wrong for this profession. Like you, you yeah, will, you, you'll make a wonderful production manager. If you want to stay in the film industry, kid, uh, we can find something. Sound would be a good, like there's a lot of things you can mm-hmm. do. You can't act. Yeah, and yeah. Jason Jordan, there's a lot of things he can do in pro wrestling, including Someday maybe be the, you know, U.S. title holder. I don't know. Yeah. Tag team wrestling, you could hide his deficiencies. Which they have for a, a very long time. Yeah. Bingo. Not only does the story suck, and mm-hmm. it does, um, a lot of it's on him. Sure. So if you imagine giving somebody else, and I don't know who to pick. I was going to say Dean Ambrose, but he's botched a lot of the crap that they've given him too. But the whole thing where they had somebody throwing fruit at Elias. And let's just pretend we don't know who this person is. It could be anyone, but somebody's going to throw fruit at Elias and Vince is in the back going, ah, that seems like fun. Ha ha ha. And people go, well, we can't say no to Vince, but you know, you, who would you give it to? Somebody, there are people on the roster that could have made that work Mm -hmm. or at least could have transcended the complete stupidity of what Vince was having them do by kind of putting their own spin on it. And instead, Jason Jordan just comes out and he throws the fruit and then you turn over and you see him and he's grinning like an idiot. And you know what you want at that moment? Now, remember, Jason Jordan is the face. Elias is the heel. That's mm-hmm. the story. You want Elias to go over and crack him over the head with the guitar. Exactly. And then stab him with it while he's on the ground. Like the <laughs> neck of the guitar, just start poking him with it. I settle down there, Joker. Yes, you want him to go Joker. on Like, you're viscerally angry at Jason Jordan, who I'm sure <laughs> is a wonderful young man. Sure. In, in real life. But he can't do it. He can't, So he just takes a really bad idea, and he executes it really badly. Yeah. And, yeah. So right now, Jason Jordan, not only... I won't say he's the most disappointing, because I didn't have high expectations. Sure. But he is the biggest failure. The most disappointing for me is Rude. Fair and, enough. And uh, what yeah. they're doing with Bobby Rude is just like, I, I don't know what you guys are smoking. So, yes, yeah, 60-minute time limit. We, we've, hit our, we've hit our time limit for this episode. Uh, we talked about a lot of stuff, a lot of storylines, current, past, and Emma. And it's a, it's a damn shame. That I don't know. Maybe she'll come back. No, she'll come back at thirty-eight, and they'll be like, "You're old." Yeah, that's and right. then it's gonna be a really interesting storyline. And she can fight. She can fight at that point. Uh, Alexa Bliss in the old woman's match. There you go. And, yes, and Vince will be like the eighty-year-old Hugh Hefner curmudgeon <laughs> running the joint and going, "We need to see them in mud." That's what we do. That'll really help sell this. God, they're so old. <laughs> but it's, they're old, yeah. but they're in mud. So that'll that'll work. That'll um, make it work. I hope she never comes back to WWE. Because if she goes to TNA, or whatever they call TNA now. GFW, yeah, I think. Yeah. It gives me a reason to actually tune in on the there Fight Network. Oh, wow, Emma's over there? Cool, I'll watch that. Or Ring of Honor or whatever. I want her so, to join the Bullet Club. That's what I'm waiting for. I want her to be in the sequel to The Last Divide. Which oh, is Dylan's upcoming feature film okay, for those cool. people that don't know. It's like, are we going to give our site? All right, cool. 60-minute time limit. This has been episode one. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, let us know what you think of you know today's storylines, because there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them that are bad. There's some of them that are pretty okay. There's one or two that are pretty good. So what do you think? My name is Dylan Garland. My name is Paul Kimball. And we have reached our 60-minute time limit.